0: my dad is a very uh theatrical character and he he lives life to the fullest and just you know is very passionate about things uh my mom too i mean they were just people who modeled i think for me as much as anything they modeled passion
1: welcome to the more than corporate podcast i'm amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher if you're anything like i used to be You've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do. And now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am really excited to bring on this week's guest. Um, first of all, when we I started reading her Bio and her intro, and I saw the Canadian connection. You know, I love that. Me and my my Canadian side. So we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, But my guest is Allison Waring. In she is a best-selling, multiple award-winning writer playwright, and performer, her new book, Moments of Glad Grace, has been heralded as a wise, funny, and tender book, beautifully written and perfectly executed from first to last sentence by Jan Martel, author of Life of Pi. Allison is also the creator facilitator of memoir writing Inc., which I'm personally really excited to hear more about an online program that guides people through the process of transforming personal stories into memoir. I'm really, really excited to bring on Allison and we, um, scheduled this a few times and then rescheduled it because of schedules. And it's just going to be a great episode. I can feel it. Um, Before I bring her on, I want to take just a minute to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions. If you are somebody who is still trying to find that moment that's going to make you happy, if you haven't asked yourself what your definition of success is, if you're looking for that place where you can really expand your knowledge and resources and find community, then the Design Your Life Mastermind is for you. we did into a different book every single month, take the resources from that book, meet with authors, and really expand our perception of what's possible for your life, your business, and your future. If you're interested in this, please head over to the Calendly link that's in the show notes, and we'll book a call to see how we can get you living the life you've always wanted. And with that being said, let's go ahead and get on with the interview with Allison. Allison, how are you doing today? Terrific. How are you? I'm good. So I always like freak out just a little bit on the inside when (laughs) I meet with people that are from Canada. My dad was born in Canada and I'm always like, you know what, I feel like it's a little piece of home. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> it's so weird because I'm not from there. I'm from here, but it's always like that connection. So right, anyways, right. Um, so let's go ahead and let everybody get to know you just a little bit before we dig into all the amazing things that you're doing with the programs that you're creating and get into the lessons that you've learned throughout your journey. Um, so are you, you're born and raised in Canada or did you That's migrate right. there? Perfect. No, no,
0: born and raised.
1: And as far as um, family, like were your parents entrepreneurs or were they, is that something that you kind of picked up along no. the way through communities?
0: Yeah, no, they were not entrepreneurs at all. My mother uh, was a, um, well, she was a great, a terrific mom and she was a pianist. She was a musician. And uh, so she taught music out of our home. And my dad was a prof. He was a professor of um, poli sci at the local university. So no, they were the furthest things from entrepreneurs. And, uh, and they, I think it's the last thing they expected me to be too.
1: <laughs> were they, um, a, so coming from an education background like your father has, was he a little um, nervous when he said you were gonna go down this entrepreneurial world or um, was Ooh. he pretty supportive?
0: Well, they're they're pretty supportive generally. They don't have a lot of overt expectations for their kids. Um, but I lived most of my life as an artist. I was just a you know I was a writer and a performer, and um, and then I began teaching as well. So I came into this quite late, and as with so many of the greatest. Uh, well, I guess events of my life, they've happened almost by accident. And just because I've been open to some something unexpected and, and been willing to explore something that, well, maybe felt a little bit out of my comfort zone, but still enticing. So this was one of those cases.
1: Oh my gosh. I think that that's so powerful for people to understand, like that willingness to be open to and willing to accept things that you may not have planned and just be willing to go with the moment. That's a huge lesson that so many people need to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm picturing all the amazing moments that you must have had with the analytical side that your dad had from teaching and the artistic side that your mom had from, you know, being the musician. And it's just such a interesting dynamic when you have both of those involved. Was your mom really, um, influential in your decision to pursue the arts and the creative side of things? I
0: think probably they were equally influential. It's hard to know where these things come from, really, because I, I I, was also a musician in that I did music at university, but I never really expected to be a professional musician. I just didn't I didn't have that. I didn't have that drive or that passion for that. And I did fall into writing a bit by accident. Um but both my parents, I think the 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 main thing that they instilled in me, both of them, was just a real um my my dad is a very uh theatrical character and he he lives life to the fullest and just you know is very passionate about things. Uh my mom too. I mean, they were just people who modeled, I think, for me, as much as anything they modeled. Passion. Now, that's not to say that they always lived that. But I, I would say if anything drew me to the arts, it was that sense of following something that really light, lit me up. And for me, eventually, that became writing.
1: But the accident,
0: yeah, the the way that I got into theater, though, was that I was I was doing a reading at a bookstore. And I always like to do these very dramatic readings with you can tell I use my hands a lot. And I love to take on the voices of the characters. And, you know, I was always just really interested in in giving a very animated reading. And someone in the audience came up afterwards and said, have you ever thought about doing theater? And I said, oh, no, no, I'm a writer. No, I don't. I'm not interested in that but the idea sat with me and it took me about 6 months to follow up with him because he said well if you change your mind here's my card and i think you should do a one woman show because i can already see it in what you're doing but i had this idea that i'm i'm a writer i'm not an actor so i can't do theater because i'm a writer and it's so interesting these labels that we have for ourselves yes. we think that they we think that they somehow enhance us or define us but they in fact often just limit us. And and they limit what we think we're capable of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love, like, that's one of the things that, you know, we experience it so much on the education side of things and with people who have professional degrees that have worked so hard to get to where they are, your, your lawyers, your doctors, your pharmacists. And it's really interesting to hear you say the same thing about that creative side that I am this, right? I am whatever comes after that. Those words I am are so powerful. And I think that people forget that sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's when we—I um, mean—it's one of the interesting things that can happen when we write our story. Actually, is that we can begin to see because so often our stories define ourselves. No, this is who I am because this is what happened to me in my childhood or whatever it might be. And when we when we begin to write our stories, one of the most beautiful things that happens that can happen is that we begin to separate from our story because we begin to craft it as a story, and so it stops being my story and becomes a story. And that shift can be incredibly powerful and liberating and ultimately empowering in the sense that we, we realize that we really are the author of our stories. And we can, you know, we're so much more than our stories.
1: Yeah. You know, there's so much going through my head right now, especially, so when I went through the NLP training that I went through, we talked about the power of stories. And when you're dealing with stories that have created a certain belief and those stories still carry an emotional attachment, you know, we, when we're working with people try to avoid the stories because it brings back, it re-anchors that emotional attachment, right? One of the things though, that is so powerful is when you move past the emotional Ties that that story has for you, and all you are left with are the learnings and the lessons that you get to pass on to the people that are around you and taken in internally for yourself. And it's such a beautiful moment when you're able to tell that story for the first time. And mm-hmm. and I think you know anybody out there can experience that where they've said something and and they've gotten this like rage or anger or sadness or whatever it was, and then they told somebody the story again, and they felt nothing and that liberating feeling Then now you just get to share that. Um, I'm interested to know from somebody who works so hard working with writers and memoirs and turning life stories into books. How do you get people to that point where they can share that story? Like what, do you have a process that you work with people or are they past that when they come to you?
0: No, they're not past it. Uh, Some are. I mean, some have been working with the material a long time, but others, others have not. And it's very fresh. And sometimes it's sometimes it is the first time that they're writing this story. There's no uh, I have a whole series of um, exercises and suggestions for people. And because it isn't in my experience, it actually isn't a one off. It's not a first you tell it, now you're over it sort of situation at all is a yeah. very gradual process for people. And it can involve, um, well, and sometimes there is the need to seek professional help or talk to people who were in the story. So it, it does vary person to person. And each each case is very unique. But what I can say is that the the process of crafting the story, I think in every case, changes it. Yeah. immediately it it has changed and and that change is the beginning of movement and once something is in motion then anything is possible when it's stagnant nothing is possible but yeah. the moment the moment we open just just a breeze into the story then you know we lift the window a little bit and allow a little bit of air in there, then, well, then amazing things can happen. And I I get letters from people every day saying, I didn't expect such and such, or I now have such a different feeling about such and such, or I never thought I'd forgive my mother, but no, I did this exercise and this, and I wrote her in this way. And from her perspective, whatever it might be for every person that, something is unlocked in their own unique way because we all, our lives are unique. The way we store our stories is unique. But so it it really is about coming at it from a whole bunch of different angles and using all sorts of different um, techniques to see
1: what it is that's going to work for you. Yeah, I love that. I think that the fact that it's not one size fits all is so important because there's this Need sometimes to believe that if I just do steps one through five, I'll be okay. And and moving past that is so important. I also love what you said about everything changing as, as movement happens. This is something I think we experience when you start asking yourself why you're at a per- certain place or how you got to a certain place in your life. And you start looking back on it and the memories that you have aren't the same memories that your family has and you have to like really dig back into hard physical proof that exists pictures and letters and things like that to find out like what really happened and it's really interesting to see the difference between what that proof is and what your memory remembers and how that's created your reality
0: mhm and memory as we know is a very flexible and ever changing entity no it's not yeah. actually fixed and they say that the the memories we access the most often are the most are the ones that change the most, yeah. Um, but I and I don't know if hard for a lot of people hard proof as you. Um, said doesn't it doesn't necessarily even exist for a lot of people. Yeah. They don't have photographs. They don't have any sort of proof. What they have is their remembrances, and they will be different from probably every other member of the family if it's a family issue. And all we can do when we approach memoir, we're not journalists. We didn't have tape recorders running during our childhoods, or most of us didn't anyway. And so all we can do is access. We can we can I always tell people we're, we're painting a portrait of a time of a of a either ourselves in a certain scene or, um yeah, an event. And the most we can do is paint with the greatest accuracy that we that we feel, because I think ultimately truth is a resonance. We know when we're in the presence of truth and when we're not. And, and we, we may not be sensitive to that, but we can build that sensitivity. We can actually chart that, um, that, that growing more sensitive. We can, um, uh, well, I think of it as, you know, with the expression, it rings true. Yeah. This rings true. You can have two people say the same thing. One person means it and the other doesn't. So in, in, As far as the words are concerned, it's the same thing. But something rings true about might be the person's body language. It might be the way they say it, the way they look at you. And that what we tune into when we recognize that's true, that whatever that is. And often it's a very visceral experience. It's not a mental decision. It's Mm -hmm. something we we intuit. That's what we draw on when we write memoir and when we when we go after the truth.
1: So for those who are listening, you know, we're digging into so many amazingly valuable topics for being able to tap into your story which i don't care whether you're selling whether you're selling like refrigerators or whether you're selling your own programs like you have to be able to tap into story mm-hmm. in order to be successful in any type of business or entrepreneurial world which is why what you do is so interesting to me because it's creative and it's free flowing and it allows you to tap into that part of you and it also has all these residual benefits in allowing you to be better at communication and allowing you to be better at relating to people. And so for those of you, for those who are listening, that are saying, what exactly is a memoir? What what is it? Well, the
0: difference between, so a memoir is a personal story. No, it doesn't need to be the story of your whole life. In fact, a memoir isn't the story of your whole life. That's an autobiography, which is something very different. And I I tell people that rather than the story of your life, memoir is a story from your life. So it is a very narrowly focused aspect of life that highlights a particular um, quality that highlights a particular that highlights your essence, actually. And, And so you'll notice that most memoirs don't try to cover the whole life because that's actually for most people, unless you're famous, it's not actually very interesting. Yeah, (laughs) And and most people don't really care where you went to high school and what the the names of all of your friends and so on, those sorts of things. I mean, if you're Michelle Obama or, you know, someone very famous, yes. Okay. Then people want to dive into all the details, but what we're looking for in memoir, what memoir offers when it's done really well is insight is some, what we're doing is we're not reliving the experience as it was. We're now reliving the experience as we are now. So we're flying over something that we lived maybe very long ago, but with this wisdom that we now have, or perspective, or insight, something that we didn't have at the time. And that that sort of flying over perspective, that is what becomes really interesting for a reader. And that's what, that's what hooks people in. That's what makes it have meaning for other people. It's no longer just about the details of what you lived. What I tell people is it's, it's not what happened. It's why what happened matters.
1: That's really powerful. And for somebody who is sitting here on the other end of this microphone in the middle of the second year of writing a book that has like three pages, um, (laughs) I can tell you that like what you just said is going to be change. So many writers, and potential writers like trajectory because we sit there and think I'm an attorney. Um, It has to make sense it has to be accurate. I need to be able to prove it. Right. And so when you sit down and you write and you're like, okay, I need to start at the beginning. I need to explain everything that happened. I need to make sure that they know because somebody might ask me someday and I need to make sure that it's right. And then somebody might read it, but then how is this important and why does this matter? Um, And when you say, look, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter what happened. It only matters why it matters. And it's only one moment. Like, all of a sudden the pressure's off and you're like, man, I can do that, right? Mm, So I I love that. I love that a lot. So let's talk about this, um, you know, we've we've got your journey. We're going to dig into some of your lessons here in just a minute, but you've taken these years of writing experience and all of the trials and lessons that you've learned about how to do this well, and you've packaged it together. What does that look like for people and how can they find it?
0: It's, uh, I used to do a lot of teaching in person, just going around the table, and people would bring in excerpts of things, and I did that for years. Uh, and over the years, I discovered I I kept saying the same things over and over again. People seemed to, no matter what their level of experience, no matter what they were writing about, no matter no matter what their their particular story was that they were working on, they seemed to come upon a the similar series of obstacles and questions so I began to gather those and I instead of saying the same things over and over I started recording these video lessons of me answering certain really common questions and from there I built out it became really clear that there's there's actually a four I think of it as a four-step framework for for transforming and elevating your your personal story into memoir and so the course that I now teach online um is a 12 week program and it goes through It's structured in those four steps. So we spend three weeks on each of those steps and it's a whole combination. It's a combination of those videos that I recorded, but they're also suggested readings because there's nothing like learning from people who have already done this really well. So there are texts that we, that we look at and then suggested exercises that are all about giving people assembling for people, a toolbox of writing tools that they will need not only to craft this story, but everything they go on to write. So we just, well, we come at it from all different angles. And and the exercises, some of them are... Um... Well, some people do all of the exercises and some people actually already come with a book ready and they just want to apply what they're learning to the manuscript that they already have. So there's videos and texts and there are some interviews with authors asking them about their process, what worked for them, you know, in different, their specific situations. And then there's also a forum where people can receive feedback on their work. And that is, and form partnerships, writing partnerships, oh, wow. form writing groups. So there's a whole range. And I think everybody probably, you Uses the course slightly differently depending on their personality some people are more social creators than others for example and also depending on their experience because we amazingly we have rank beginners and we have best-selling authors and they all take the same course and they do it in a very different way but they're able to apply the lessons to where they are and what they're working on.
1: Does it ever happen that that person comes to you with their finished manuscript and they think, okay, I'm going to do this just to show myself that I did everything right. And then their manuscript like completely changes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The short answer is yes. (laughs) I can, I can imagine. And, and I'm sure that that's incredibly rewarding in the end product and incredibly frustrating at the same time. Like I I did all this work.
0: Well, and I don't know that it's that they have to toss it out, but they now see, oh, I didn't dig deep enough here and I actually didn't look at it from that angle. And yeah, I need to think about this when I'm creating dialogue. No, I think it just enhances. I don't know that anyone's ever said, okay, 900 pages out the window, I have to start again. (laughs) Oh, that
1: sounds awful. (laughs) 900 pages. Um, So the person that's out there that has been thinking, you know, I, I have these experiences, but, like, why would anybody care to read them? Do I really need to have a memoir? What do you say to them?
0: Well, everybody feels that way, for one thing. Almost everybody says, well, who cares about my story? It just happened to me. And I think every memoirist could say that. And it's the thing is that it's not actually – some memoirs have – some memoirs that are very popular and, you know, that we all know are very exciting and they, they had an extraordinary childhood and so on. But that doesn't just – an extraordinary childhood or a harrowing experience does not just automatically make for a great memoir. It really is all in how it's done. And what I tell people is the stuff of your life is just the clay. You are now sculpting that clay. You, so you can turn it into anything. I mean, it doesn't actually matter what happened in your life. It matters what you make of it. And the, the reason why people care, they, they probably won't care. You know, to to know where you went to high school, as I said, or who your friends were. Those details they don't care. But almost everyone at some point in their life has lived something quite tremendous. Even if even if it feels small to them, they are a they are a stronger person because of it. They've come out the other side of something. They see things in a very unique way, just as every person is unique. Every story really is completely unique. And what we what memoirs should feel generous, what we're offering in memoir is not just here's a recounting of my life. It is let me walk you through what I lived and let me show you what I see now.
1: That's That's actually a memoir. Wow. And, and there, there is somebody listening and I know because I used to be somebody that heard you say like, it can be anything you want. And they're like, well, no, no, not anything. Right. Like, um, that freedom. Yeah. I think this is what we deal with so often going back to the identity piece, that freedom to really create whatever we want to be and need to be in the moment. So that we can get to wherever we want to go um, is incredibly powerful and also like terrifying at the mm-hmm. same time to say yeah, like it'd be so much easier if it was just all laid out and and you didn't have control. But you do have control and that's that everybody has this responsibility to use that in a way that's best for them.
0: Mhm yeah and and that well that's why we like comfort right because comfort is something well we know and and it doesn't stretch us and we don't well we don't need to change and the thing yeah. about the thing about leaning into discomfort and and choosing to go somewhere that feels a little strange it's almost always rewarding i just don't i just don't know of people that said well i even when we take a risk and fall flat. I mean, I've fallen flat so many times, but uh, but that falling flat, I would never have gotten to the next place had I not fallen flat. The falling flat is actually just part of it. And if we know that, we then we then don't need to feel so discouraged when we find ourselves with our face on the sidewalk. We just know this is part of it. This isn't the end of this story yet. Yeah. Actually, this is the most interesting part of it. It feels terrible right now, but at some point I'm going to know and and understanding the structure of story can actually be helpful in life because we do we can recognize, "Oh, this is this turning point. But this isn't the end. This isn't the yeah. end."
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I don't know that I've met a group of people that's as willing to step into that uncomfortable place as the podcasting and entrepreneurial and creative space. Like, I feel like most of us spent a good portion of our life trying to avoid that space. And now we live in it because of everything we're creating every day, Mm -hmm. Um, which causes that comfort zone to expand and to create this phenomenon that I call like fake uncomfortable where the things that used (laughs) to make us uncomfortable no longer do, but we still convince ourselves that we're pushing to new limits. So Mm. what do you do to make sure that you're constantly finding new ways to push yourself and stretch that comfort zone and challenge yourself? Mm.
0: I don't know that I consciously push or that I consciously look for it, even, but I, I, I just stay open. I I don't, mm. I don't say no, my, my impulse in life is not no, it's in fact, a friend of mine just wrote to me and said, Oh, I you, I had a dream with you last night, and I kept offering things to you. And you said yes to everything. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm more inclined to say yes than no, Um, which, which, now I actually have to get better at saying no to things because i can't I can't follow every single opportunity. That's a real that's um that's a, a very um privileged place to be no, to be able to say no. but um but I guess I would say that the things that I, I go where the energy is, even if that energy is fear, even if that energy is um, Yeah, a bit of discomfort, or even if I feel almost repelled by something, I think there's energy there. And so I think I need to do that. Or if someone really bothers me, someone really irritates me, I think there's something there. I need to, I need to actually get down on my knees and see if I can humble myself, what is this person teaching me? And, and even an experience that I really, you know, things that I, it's not always following things that I like. It's following things that yeah, that I guess I feel some kind of charge from because there's something in there that's asking me to evolve, that's asking me to, to look more deeply and to maybe open myself and humble myself. I think so much of growth is about humility.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Have you always been this way or do you think there was like a moment in your life? I know you mentioned the theater before previously, but have you always been willing to go towards that energy, as you said, or is there a moment where you started to see that shifting?
0: Well, I had a real catastrophe. I mean, I had a series of catastrophes when uh, my son was born. I had a very difficult postpartum. I actually could not write after he was born. My first book had come out. I was just sailing high and then I just crashed. I went eight years and I couldn't, I just couldn't write. And um, and at the end of that, I came up with that thing that I read aloud. It wasn't a book yet. I thought it was my next book. I thought, here I go. I'm finally back in the game. And it was rejected. And uh, I was devastated. I just thought, what now? It's taken me eight years to put this thing together. And that person who said that, you know, you should think about doing theater. It was because... I was, I was desperate. I was absolutely desperate. I just thought, what have I got to lose? What have I got to lose? And so I went for it. And it changed my life. It changed my life. And it was among the greatest gifts anyone has ever given me was that suggestion. I think so often it's when we find ourselves in our on our knees and And we we don't you know, we're we've sort of at the end of the rope and we think, oh, yeah, I'll just I give up. I'll try anything. You know, it's it's those moments that are actually they feel like the end of the line and they are. They're the end of one line. But woo, they open into. This extraordinary field of possibilities, and and so I think I got more sensitive to it at that point. I think then I was willing. Well, I'd seen what happens, what can happen, and so from there, I remember actually the the first time someone asked me to teach a workshop, and I thought, I because the truth is I failed high school English. I never took an English class. I've never taken any formal education in English, and so I didn't think I could be a writer. And I fell into it by accident. That's a whole other story, but. But I was so um, I was so convinced that I couldn't teach because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't formally been schooled that my impulse might have been, oh, no, I can't teach a workshop. But I thought, well, why not? I mean, I have six months to figure it out. I'll figure it out. So I said, yes. Well, it also involved a trip to Mexico and, you know, it was, there, there there were perks. And so I thought, <laughs> yeah, I can I can figure it out. But I was teaching alongside some of the, I mean, some of the world's greatest writers. It was incredibly intimidating. And I don't know why I got asked. Well, I got asked because of my publishing history, not because of my teaching history. So I wildly overprepared. And I went in and delivered this workshop. And once again, I would never have chosen to do it. I did not feel like I had any qualifications. But the moment I got there, I realized, God, I've got so much to say about writing. Because because I learned along the way, because I made all the mistakes, because I did all the wrong things. And so I think people found it actually refreshing that it wasn't like a lecture or a series of, you know, so that was, that would be another case where I thought, I know that I, I know that I'm out of, I'm way out of my league, but I know also that that's where the interesting stuff of life lives. So I have to be willing, I have to be willing to go and,
1: Figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I think this is what, you know, we throw around phase- phrases all the time that we think are powerful, and they are. But not until we actually internalize them, which I think happens after we say them over and over and over again. And one of them that we say often is if you're the smartest person in the room, find another room, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody throws that around and is like, oh, you know, if you're the smartest person, find another room. But finding that room is terrifying Mm -hmm. and, and it's awful. And in order to find it, you have to be willing to, as you said earlier, fall on your face and do it in public. And, you know, we don't grow any other way. But, like, everybody's like, just go find another room. Like, you're just closing one door and opening another. And it's just, it takes an incredible amount of intentionality in what you're doing, which I, I think is amazing. Um, I also think it's really interesting that you were talking about having nothing to lose because those moments are incredibly powerful. And they're so blown out of proportion in the moment. Right. Like if we could step back and look at everything that we have, it's like, I have nothing to lose. And there's so much that like, it can always get worse. Right. But in that moment we think, man, like can't get any worse. I might try this. And, and so much of my story has been that as well. Hmm. And so much of, of, I I hear that from so many people, I had nothing to lose. And then you step back and you're like, well, I, I mean, I had a house and I, I had a car and I had like, you know, family. And I mean, there was a lot I could have lost. But in that moment, we feel completely helpless. So-
0: and I think open, you know, we've yeah. we've we've been forced to set down our agenda. And so often our own agendas keep us from our highest self,
1: you know. And our own agendas keep us from our highest self. Like that could be my quote of the week. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. I love it. I love it. So you step in, you're in this moment. Somebody says, hey, you should do theater. And you're like, I can't do that because I am whatever comes after that. Um, You take this opportunity that changes everything for you. What do you think is one of the lessons that you learned from theater that you have applied to everything else that you've done after that?
0: Theater made me realize what I was capable of. I think it forced me out of my shell. I was a very, I wasn't exactly socially awkward, but maybe I was actually. I I just, because I hadn't fully self-realized yet. I mean, I hadn't fully stepped in to the fullness of who I was until I got on a stage. It's such, so strange. But the moment I did that, I realized I just felt fully alive and I I was amazed at what I was capable of doing on a stage. I mean, I I just didn't I didn't know I could do all of that, and so um, so I think it it yeah it gave me a confidence, but the true kind of confidence. No, the confidence that is an internal recognition of oh, this is who I am. I immediately not immediately actually no, but I did. I just became comfortable in my own skin. I think for the first time in my life. And once that happens, then then you aren't, I mean, I, I think I spent so much of my time worrying about what others thought and what I should do and all that sort of thing. And that just over the years that I was performing and performing and performing and touring and that just fell away. It just gradually and continually fell away at each at each step. So, so that was part of it. And then, I mean, I think it was also another recognition of the power of story it's the story that I was telling well the the I, I did two one woman shows the first show was about that postpartum experience actually that book that never became a book became a very successful wow. and prize-winning play but the second book that or the second show that I did was about growing up with a gay father in the 1980s and that's a whole you know that's a story all its own but um, but it it performing it and seeing audience responses night after night, year after year, it it just, um, well, it just clarified for me the power of the personal story, what it actually gives. As I said, memoir is ultimately generous when it's done well. It's not about, look at me, look at me. It's actually about this is what I have to give you. Here's my story. Here's what, here's what it can offer. Now this is what, this is, this is what's possible in our in our lives. And so that, that I think also just helped me to clarify, why is it that I write? Why is it that personal story um, is so powerful? Why is it that it? it has such value and I could, I could literally see it. Now when you're a writer, you never see your reader's response or rarely you do, no, you might do a reading and yes, people clap, but in a theater, wow. I mean, you, you get the response. It's immediate and tactile. And then people stop afterwards and chat to you in the lobby and whatever. So, I mean, I just got such a, it was such an affirming experience.
1: Yeah. And it's tangible. I think like in the moment you can, portray emotions in a theatrical space that you can't necessarily portray on words. Um, and, and I think, you know, we can obviously put emotions in our words, but the spoken word is so much more powerful than than being read. Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting that in theater you did this one woman show and, and I'm I'm curious because I grew up in a really small town and theater was one of the things that we tried to do to entertain ourselves when we were done tipping cows. So no, um, I, we had 1200 people in our town and I remember acting and I was so self-conscious and I was, you know, in my teen ages and I really want the opportunity to go back with the confidence and the self-worth that I have now and re-experience those moments. But what I found was people will find a way if they don't believe that they belong in a situation to hide behind the person that they believe does belong in a, and lighten their light just a little bit. And here you are on stage in this uncomfortable situation. I think it was better because you didn't have anybody else there that you could allowed to take the stage or do you think probably I'd done a lot of
0: performing before then as a musician I was a backup singer for a long time okay and and so I was literally behind someone (laughs) uh and that's a very different experience and I actually never found that satisfying and when that film came out that what is it 60 feet from stardom or 30 feet from stardom about backup singers wow did I ever identify with those women um Uh, So it was a very different experience stepping out and yes, yes, doing it as a one woman show, there is no one else on stage. So you have nothing. It's like being dropped into the deep end, I guess. So it is a sink or swim moment. Unfortunately, I swam. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great. I feel like so many great things come from those sink or swim moments. Like when we try to tiptoe our way into those situations, we always find ways to avoid like that big drop off, right? But as we talked about before, that big drop off is where all the growth is and the amazingness and all the, the wonderful experiences. So, so what you did was a one woman show that was scripted. Have you done any improv or anything like that? Or is that anything that you've ever tried?
0: No, and I've never. It's never really interested me. I mean, I've I've actually after I toured the second show for about seven years, I I realized I was really yearning to write again for the first. I mean, yeah, it took me a long time to just get well to get that passion back, I guess. And so I took a year off from performing and wrote another book, uh, and then I toured. Oh, wait a minute. No, I, I toured the first show for a couple of years, the second show for a year. And then I took time off and wrote the book. And then I went out and toured the book and the show together. So oh, that's it, cool. instead of doing a reading, I would perform the book in a sense. And uh, and so I toured that for seven years. And then I just came out with another book um, recently. So I feel in some ways, I feel as though I'm almost returning to my roots now, because now I'm really primarily, well, especially since the pandemic, I'm not performing at all. And and I'm I'm mostly facilitating other people's stories. And, you know, I'm sort of the midwife of other people's stories, which which feels like a beautiful turning of events. No, I don't I wouldn't ever want to do the same thing over and over forever. And so yeah. I'm just I'm just and I'm now, you know, I'm now this entrepreneur that now I have to learn how do I run an online course? And we have students all over the world and it just is growing and it's a, it's a much uh, more maybe a well involved process than i imagined and i'm ha- i'm learning every day <laughs> well too you know i now have a team of people helping me and that's a whole new learning curve for me and i've loved it but i never thought i would be here
1: yeah those those learning curves are a pain in the butt, but they're so necessary. Like, um, and, and it's really exciting to see the space. And and anybody who watches this rather than listens to it will just see the way that your face lights up when you talk about being this facilitator to other stories. Like, I love your energy. I feel thank like you. I could sit here all day and just talk to you. Like, I'd be like, okay, I'm a little bit tired today. I need to call Allison, I'll be like five <laughs> minutes with her. Um, because you just have this you mention energy and moving towards the energy so much, and yet you radiate it. And oh, I, I absolutely Absolutely you so much. love it. Thank you. Um, so much of this podcast is about defining success, uh, particularly because I find so many people in all walks of life that believe that if they accomplish something, it's going to affix all the things that they don't want to deal with in their life and nothing, everything's going to be perfect. And then that happens. And we know that magic fairies don't come and make everything right. So what does success mean to you individually? And how do you make sure that you're working towards that on a daily basis?
0: Joy. I think that's the only success marker that I have. Um, If I'm enjoying my life and what I'm doing, then that to me feels like success. And, And the incredible part about that, of course, is that when that happens things fall into place. I can't really explain why that is. But when I am enjoying, I mean, just at the simplest level, when I am enjoying performing, everybody in the audience, I can't speak for everybody, most people in the audience are enjoying being with me in this story. And um, And so the show is itself a success, and then people want. Then you know, then an agent is interested, and then I get booked somewhere else. I mean, that's why I mean, amazing things can happen when, when we're when we're well, when we're enjoying something. Which doesn't mean I don't work hard. I work really hard, Mm -hmm. Um, and there's something as I, I don't enjoy every single thing. There are a lot of tedious tasks and things I would rather not do. But immediately that something becomes tedious to me, I think. There's time for this has to change as soon as something as soon as I feel a dread or even a resentment, I wish I didn't have to do this. I think, oh, yes. OK, now something I need to do something about this. Either I need to find someone who loves doing this, because that's the amazing thing for me. One of the amazing things about becoming an entrepreneur is realizing, wow, there are people who love do you know systems, and they love email <laughs> automations, and they love those post- people are
1: crazy, by the way. <laughs>
0: well, I love that they exist. People who love social media. I mean, who knew? Right? <laughs> Yeah, so I have it's been really helpful. And then watching and then I always when I do my private meetings with people who work with me, I always say, first thing, what are you enjoying? And then what's the if there's one thing that we could take off your plate, what would it be? Because it feels like they're going to be performing at their maximum potential, their potential for success in the you know, if we if we use joy as a marker, when we're all aware of that, too, that they don't have to do the things that they find tedious and will all be. I mean, it's amazing. I love that there are people who love bookkeeping. I mean, I did that for years just because I felt like I had to do it. And then I discovered, no, there are people who are much better at it than me. I would happily pay them. And the moment I do that and they're doing what they love, I can do what I love. And guess what? It works for everybody.
1: This idea of getting stuff off of your plate, that doesn't bring you joy is is so important. I recently did a podcast episode with somebody who put this into an exercise and you're the first person that I've heard say it. So like, it just, I I understand it. Um, But he had created these quadrants and it was love, like, dislike, and just no. And he says, you know, just write everything down. And if it's in the, he used the word hate. I don't like the word hate. So I just changed it to no. Um, But if there's something in that no column, give it to somebody else. Like don't do your no stuff. Right. And so I think it's really interesting. Clearly the universe is trying to teach me a lesson because this is like back to back to back podcasts where people (laughs) have told me that I don't have to do stuff I don't like to do. So (laughs) one day I'll learn it. Um, for you when, and, and this may be very similar, this may be the part of the same answer, but I'm curious to know if there's anything behind that. Um, when you are going down a path of something that previously brought you joy and now it starts to become tedious for you, um, what's your process to find out whether that's an uncomfortableness that you're reaching or whether you really need to unload that off to somebody.
0: At this point, I think I had just have a, an inner sense of it. And, um, but I used to ask myself that question, what's fear and what's resistance? How do we know yeah. the difference between those two things? And something that's been helpful for me in my life um, that I, I, I don't really, I, maybe I don't need it so much anymore, but it used to be really helpful was reaching for the feeling of relief. What brings me relief? And that sounds like a cop-out, but actually we, we almost always truly know what we want. And, and when we do the thing that brings us relief, even if it means we're pulling back from the edge of the diving board, that feeling is not going to be satisfying for very long if what we really want is to go over the diving board. But that relief means that we're not ready yet. And we can't actually, there's no point in, in throwing ourselves off the diving board if we're going to you know, really do damage to our head. But if we can approach it, if we can give ourselves relief, we actually will come to it you know, it's sort of like pushing a child off the deep off the diving board and sitting and waiting for them. And yeah. and eventually, if they want to go in, they're going to go in. It might take a while, but pushing them is not going to help. No one wants to be pushed. And I think we can sometimes push ourselves needlessly and and aggressively. And there's a difference between pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves or opening ourselves. There's a difference yeah. between pushing and opening. Maybe that's the better comparison. And um and so I used to I used to use that to, to help me to help me try to figure out which it is. Is it that I'm resisting something that I really need, uh, or is it that my intuition is telling me that I shouldn't do it? You know, I used to find that very confusing. I think I just have a better sense now of of what's what's just fear. Yeah, yeah. because fear. I, I mean, I love staring in the face of fear. I, I actually really enjoy that experience. And because the moment you open the door to fear, it loses some of its power. Yeah. And the moment you name it, I think I'm just afraid, then something relaxes. And so, so I, but it, it has been just a matter of calibrating that in my own, in my own intuition, maybe, and getting, um, getting a clearer sense of what, what's what.
1: Yeah. I, there's, I can relate to everything you just said. And I think that there's an incredible amount of vulnerability and imperfectness that exists in saying, hey, I'm afraid. Like we want to put on that strong face and find all the other reasons why it's not fear, why it's just not right for us. Because to say, hey, I'm afraid to do this or to say, hey, I need to find out what I don't know in order to make this give myself the resources to do this thing I really want, that requires us to embrace our imperfections in a way that we, as a society, have kind of been told to hide. Yeah. Yeah, So I love that. Um, I'm sensing from our conversation that your program, the 12-week online program, although it's made for memoirs, is incredibly valuable for anybody who has any desire to write any amount of writing in any form. Is that accurate or inaccurate?
0: Oh well, no, that's true. Because a memoir, we equate, I think erroneously, we equate a memoir with a book. But a book, a memoir can be 10 pages. I mean, a memoir doesn't, uh, doesn't need to be as a a huge endeavor and the, the excavating of those stories that, that are with us. No, the stories that don't let go, those really defining stories for us. Those when we, when we set ourselves the goal, Oh, now I have to write a book because I'm interested in writing about my own story. That's like saying, well, I'm interested in taking up running. So now I've got to do the Boston marathon
1: (laughs) tomorrow. yeah,
0: first that, but and I see that a lot, and I I really encourage people to think small because if you set yourself the goal of the Boston Marathon and you haven't learned how to go around the block yet or to do a five k or a ten k run, then you're you're probably never going to make it. I mean, it, which doesn't mean you're not capable. It's just yeah. it's just going about it in the right way. And so the first thing I say to people is let's put the huge idea, this idea that you have to write a book, let's put it to one side just for now, just for now, because the sense of satisfaction you're going to get by working on smaller pieces, by understanding what it takes to write a single scene, a single story, understand what it takes for a piece to have a center of gravity, to hold together, to have an arc, to deliver, that will then allow you to do another one and another one and another one and another one. And no book has ever been written any other way, but one page or episode or scene at a time.
1: Wow. So for the person who's listening, who's saying nobody's engaging with my social media content, nobody's engaging with my blog post. I don't know how to write my newsletter. I don't know how to write my book. Where can they find information about your resources?
0: Uh, well, my, my website is allisonwaring.com. So my, for Allison is with one L and an I, and then wearing is with an E W E A R I N G. And then if they're interested in the course, it's called, well, you can find information on the course on my website, of course, but the course is called memoir writing ink and ink is with a K.
1: I love it. And we'll have all of those links underneath. I, um, I used to say that I wasn't creative. I Talk about the stories we tell ourselves. I failed sixth grade art. And because of that, I'm not creative, right? So (laughs) then I go to law school and I become this super analytical person. And I'm doing a podcast interview with um, Jeffrey Madoff, who wrote, Creative careers, which you should check out if you haven't read it. It's amazing. And I tell him, I'm just not creative. And he's like, You must be an awful attorney then. I'm like, (laughs) Whoa, like what? And he's like, All creativity is a solving problem. So if you're not creative, I certainly don't want you representing me. And I was like, Wow, mind blown. right? So I'm really interested to check out your course and I'm really excited to help others find it as well, because just in the 50 minutes that we've been talking, you have completely reshaped writing for me. And I am excited to see what happens in 12 weeks. So um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And before we wrap up, I'd love to give people an opportunity to get to know you in a quick random round. Are you okay with that? Sure. All right. I, I love the way you say sure. Like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad, I promise. Um, If you could do anything other than what you're doing now, what career do you think would be fun to attempt?
0: I would be a dancer. Any
1: specific style?
0: Uh, I'd probably be a choreographer, actually, really? it, which is so funny because uh, for someone who's so wedded to words, the one, I I love the idea of expressing story through the body. I'm a big, I'm a big yogi. I love to move. I dance a lot in my own. I've done a lot of dance and I've even done choreography and, and that, yeah, that's, that I think, mm, yeah, that's what I'd do. I'd be a dancer.
1: That's so cool. I think it's interesting for somebody who was a backup singer. To then say be a choreographer and and I understand because I see them as completely different, but it seems like two behind the scene things. So it's interesting to me to see that connection.
0: Well, the choreographer is the creative, you
1: know they're
0: they're the person who is creating the dance.
1: So yeah, that's awesome. I guess it would be more like the songwriter, not the backup singer, right? That's right. I love that. Yeah. Um, If you could time travel, where would you go and why?
0: I would go to hmm i might go to paris in the 1920s or 30s and hang out in some of those cafes (laughs) (laughs) listening listening to writers talk um gee that um that's one and then the other is actually uh i would either go there or i would go to um when was Jane Goodall first in Africa? Uh, I would I would be tempted to do something like that
1: too. That's really yeah. cool. Both of those um, I can just imagine like the fly on the wall perspective of just seeing the way life was and the way life was changing. And you know we are so it, it's impossible for us to know what's going to happen next and and to experience the way it was before. I, I love that. Um, when you read. Do you are you a physical book holder? Do you have to turn, smell, highlight the pages, or do you audiobook?
0: No, I don't actually. I've recorded a couple of audiobooks, but I've never—I don't think I've ever listened to one actually. <laughs> and I—I I can't read on an e-reader. I think I'm just too old. I—I <laughs> I just love books. I just yeah. love the real thing. And I was so happy. I was in Victoria, British Columbia, uh, last week, and walked into Monroe's Books, which is one of the few remaining large and, uh, and flourishing independent bookstores in Canada. And I just found it so beautiful to browse those shelves and to see how many people were pulling books off the shelves. And, oh, I was just delighted to see them.
1: You know, I wish we had more independent bookstores. Yeah. Um, you know what,
0: when I took those books up to the counter, so I bought, I bought this ridiculous number of books, the person checking me out I mean, checking the, out the books, not checking. Yeah. <laughs> <the end. laughs> uh, had something to say about every single oh, book. That's so cool. I that I cannot remember the last time that happened to me. That was it was thrilling. We actually had a conversation about books at the cash register. It was uh, yeah, I can't remember the last time.
1: You know, I think we get so caught up in convenience and time saving and and productivity that we forget about the experiential side of doing things like that and those things that we wished we didn't have to do become things that we long to do as as we get stuck in the world of Amazon like i love amazon don't get me wrong but to walk into you know an independent bookstore that might have like this little you know, nook that you can sit down and read in like that, that warms my heart. So.
0: Yeah. And that's nourishing an actual uh, person. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, And a family and a community. And uh, yeah. And that, yeah, there's, there are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of reasons to buy books at Indie Booksellers.
1: Absolutely. Um, Resources. um, You know, we've been talking a lot about writing, expressing yourself, communication. Is there a resource, a book that you would recommend the most to people um, who want to improve their communication skills?
0: Well, if anyone's interested in writing memoir, I can recommend kind of a, a, a wacky book that's so much fun to read. It's called Bird by Bird, I can't remember what the subtitle is, something on lessons on life and writing, something like that. It's by Anne Lamott, who is the most disarming writer. She's just, uh, she's so much fun and very conversational. And she talks about memoir and writing in, in such an approachable way. But also it's not just, you know, it's not dumbed down at all. It's it's just that she makes it very, um, she makes it very both inviting and accessible, but I mean accessible in a positive way. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't want to take a course or who just wants to, you know, to, to read a book about writing, that's a great one.
1: Awesome. And my last one, because I'm a music nerd. So this is my selfish question. Um, what's your pump up song? What is it that you listen to, to get yourself in that (laughs) completely like productive mode?
0: Uh, well lately, actually I was just listening to it in the car. Um, Uh, is the Dave Matthews Band, The Ants Come Marching. Do you know that song? Oh, it's... Yeah, it's the live version. And uh, wow, I was amazed my car stayed on the road. I thought it was going (laughs) to (laughs) start...
1: It's so crazy. I'm that type of person where every now and then I'll be so into a song and I'm at a stoplight and I like realize that I need like a new identity. <laughs> really, there's somebody looking at me like, who is this crazy No, but person? I love that. I love that
0: because if that person uh, sees you doing it, that just makes it that much more possible for them to start dancing behind I the know, wheel too,
1: right? Mm-hmm. It's it's so crazy. Like um, I used to be the type of person that would be like listening to music and I, I'd get to a stoplight and I'd like turn my stuff down because nobody needs to know. And now I'm like, you know what? I don't even care. Like you can Mm. join me. So Alison, it's been amazing to get to know you a little bit. I'm really excited to continue to communicate with you, to learn more about your course, to help you share your love for writing and helping others write well. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show with me.
0: Thank you so much, Amber. It's been an
1: honor.